This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're momming today with Dr. Gregory Jans about mental health for mom and the family. Uh, Dr. Jans, welcome. Oh, good to be with you today. Such an important topic we have. And uh, I just learned you're a prolific author. 40 books. 40 books. And your latest. And they, unfortunately... They, they add up over time. <laughs> you're a busy man. Um, unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to start with your latest. And it's called So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to someone considering suicide. And, you know, while this has always been a problem, I feel like over the course of the pandemic, it's likely gotten worse. It has gotten worse. In fact, uh, this was not a topic that was really on my radar until I began to look and see what is happening. And we've got a couple of age groups we're really uh, watching closely. We're really concerned about age about 12, approximately age 17. This is where we're seeing some significant suicide attempts, ideation, and suicide right now in that age group is the second leading cause of death. Why? And uh, so we've got to pay attention to this why why in that age group is it the social media age group or what is it about 12 to 17 year olds Oh, well, Lauren, the 12 to 17 year olds are definitely in the uh, social media and that does have a big influence. But what we're seeing. So we just look at, OK, the last two years, what has happened to our kids? Uh, we've had the highest academic failure ever that we know about. Uh, we're seeing some delayed social development with our kids. And there's something that I'm, I'm calling the failure syndrome. Kids have been failing and failing and if there's one central theme for that age group, it's apathy about their future. They don't care, and they've begun to devalue life. And we really are seeing kids uh, who are considering taking their life, who are taking their life. Uh, the anxiety and anxiety disorder, the social anxiety disorder, the depression rates, they're at all-time highs. So there's a lot on this age group. And a lot on their parents. You know, if you're my oldest is six, but I already fear the teen years. And now you made me fear them even more. What what are the signs to watch out for? Well, I think it's important that we are aware. And some of the things that we need to be aware of, obviously, for a kid, if we see sudden, I mentioned academic failure, but we start to see um, academic failure. We start to see isolation. Kids, when they stop being or desiring to be with their normal peer groups and you see them shut down, you see them with those earbuds in their ear and they're escaping to their room. So they're disconnecting. But a lot of times they're disconnecting and they're reconnecting with some dangerous interactions online. And so one of the things we need to look for is where's our kids spending the time? What are the guardrails as a parent we put in place that 
at least uh, offer some insight to social media. Now, by the way, younger kids, and what we know is the average age to exposure to pornography on the Internet is about age nine. So we've got to be engaged early on with social media, the digital world with our kids, and begin to understand, okay, what's our family values? How do we put together a plan early on to deal with this? And you said guardrails. Do you mean put parental controls on um, on the devices that they use? Well, the first some for some there may be i'll tell you so i have i have two sons and when they were younger they were younger um they were really smart with anything to do with technology and still are they could outsmart me of course <laughs> so <laughs> i know um, my three and a half year old can outsmart me on the ipad yes. i'm like how do you even know how to do that you can't read <laughs> Oh, yes. I remember, you know, I'd be trying to figure something out on my on my new phone, you know, and the, and the youngest one would grab it out of my hands and say, here, do this, Dad. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I go, where do you learn this? Gosh. So we have a generation that were tethered to technology since the day they were born, nearly. And so one of the things when they were younger, uh, we did. Uh, I, I, we did do monitoring and what we did was, you know, the programs that are available now that are a whole lot better where, um, you know, if they were going to download something on their device, um, it would alert us and we would give approval. I remember one day um, it, my kid should have been in classroom in the school and I'm getting a notification on my phone. So and so is, you know, trying to download this game. I'm going, wait a minute. He's supposed to be in school. What's going on? <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Guardrails are important early on. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's more than that because the kids can, you know, if they're going to go down that path, I feel like they find a way to go down it nonetheless. And oh, they will. Us. And this is one of the things: keep always keep technology an open topic. One of the things we did was we never allowed devices. We call them devices at our home. Didn't allow them at the dinner table when we're together. You look at each other in the eye and you can't communicate. But there was one day a week it was an exception. Thursday night was digital dinner night. <laughs> And I know it sounds silly, but um, it was the one time a week that they could bring their devices to the dinner table. A um, little bit of an irritant for my wife. But um, what we did was we learned what was important to them. What apps are you using? What are your kids doing? Uh, you know, friends doing? What are you playing? And we let them talk about their world. Now, that served a couple purposes. Sneaky. It kept them from always You're wanting sneaky. to hide things. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And we just brought it out in the open. Plus, um, you know, kids run in herds. One week, this app or this game's the popular one. The next week, it's something else. It really gave us insight to uh, what was influencing them. Yeah, I, li I like that. I didn't I didn't put that together right away. Digital dinner Thursdays so you can, you know, stay on top <laughs> yeah. of what they're doing. Got it. You yeah, said it's the only day of the week they can bring something <laughs> to the dinner table. You said something earlier um, about uh, this apathy that teenagers are feeling about their future. Yes. And how they're devaluing life. Can you just expound a little bit on that? Yes. Um, because kids have been living with such exceptionally high levels of anxiety, we're seeing social anxiety disorder with kids like never before, as well as adults. All the rules changed. Uh, kids were taught early on, you know, you don't touch your teacher. There's no more hugs. Uh, you keep a mask on. Um, so they've learned a lot of what I'll call shame inducing behavior. Uh, forcing a kid to wear a mask can be a, a shame inducement. Uh, you hide behind it. You hide your smile. Uh, you're hiding your self-esteem. Uh, it teaches you that you're not okay. And it teaches you the people around you are not safe. And so kids learn early on to hide emotion. Uh, 
and hide joy uh and we can hide you know when you are embarrassed you usually cover your mouth right it's just and and we learned to do that early on with a mask there is concerns that I have that in emotional development uh, with kids who really have learned to hide themselves behind a mask. So that's one factor we need to look at. What are they learning emotionally? And how is that emotional um, uh, whole, if you will, af- affecting their views of how important their life is? Oh yes, and then if yes. They're so they're learning it. fear. They're learning fear. Uh, they're learning a culture of fear very early on, and we're seeing. And by the way, I love teachers. Uh, I've done programs for schools and teachers, helping boys be successful in school. So I'm I'm all I'm all for teachers. Yeah. But what the culture is creating uh, among some schools is uh, a lot of fear. With fear, after a while, it becomes apathy. I don't care. Uh, I don't care to perform well, uh, and there's so many unknowns. So it begins to, fear begins to rob me of my motivation to do well. So we need to look at all those factors. All right, we're going to take a quick break right here, Dr. Jantz. But when we return on We're Momming today, I want to ask you about one California district that is now requiring children as young as five to not only wear masks, but to wear one with a wire, a wire around the nose. There's going to be an N95 next. We'll be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. We're back on We're Momming today with Dr. Jans talking about, oh God, what COVID has done to the mental health of a generation. Um, and then some. And, you know, I, I was just talking, we were talking about masks and how they hide emotions, they create this culture of fear, and especially for younger children, they're disadvantageous in terms of social development in the classroom, um, and in other ways as well. Uh, and you have some school districts saying, okay, it's a, whatever, it's up it's up to that, that particular community, but others are mandating not only cloth masks, but ones that have wires. I mean, that's really suffocating the kids. You know, there's a lot we can look at just from a physiology uh, vantage point. Kids need to breathe. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot out there. If we dig a little bit and look at this, it's not a healthy approach. So, you know, I'm reminded of seeing the teacher who's taping the mask above a kid's nose. Um, You know, we see these kinds of things and it's alarming. So we're going to cross a line if we haven't already, where some of the tactics that we're using really are emotionally abusive. Uh, They're abusive. They're devaluing of a person. And we need to really, really look at what are we doing to our kids and what are we teaching them? There's a real punitive mass culture. And uh, that punitive mass culture is very shaming for a kid. Now, shame means I feel defective. There's something wrong with me. So, I'm coming on as a mental health expert and saying we need to look at what this is doing to our kids. There will be a price to pay. So can you just get into the mind of the teacher or the school district or the board or or the health professional that's saying this is a good idea? You know, I think if we say it's a good idea, um, we're not looking at from the vantage point of the kids and we could get into all the different issues around covid safety and kids and so forth um but how we're approaching it uh is very demeaning uh 
and it's very shameful. And so I am not supportive. This is my personal uh, opinion. I'm not supportive of masking kids. Uh, I don't believe the evidence is there, uh, even from a vantage point of safety and the detrimental effects of doing this. Uh, we're going to see it's you're going to see it later on We're our next pandemic is a mental health pandemic. And we're going to see this in our kids and we're seeing it already. And it's interesting because my kindergartner now has a special, a class that they have once a week, and they are assigned homework, and it's emotional and social learning. So I fear we might already be there. Yep, we're there in in some schools. Now, you know, what's so confusing is it depends on where you live because the rules are different. And we do have, and I have seen schools where I'll tell you, everything looks pretty normal. Okay, and then there's others that it's not that way. So a lot of this depends where you're at, where you're living, what's the type of school, etc. Um, so uh, we need to know that uh, there are others that are choosing to approach this differently. As parents, what questions can we ask to to get the information that we need to make the right deductions about how our child is doing? Well, one of the things is I really believe the parent knows best. So stay engaged. It can be really frustrating. You have a teenager. uh, It can be very frustrating. They're going to communicate their uh, emotions oftentimes differently uh, than a younger kid. You're going to see maybe it's a younger kid who cries, um, you know, elementary school. They don't want to go back to school. There's a lot of the shaming behavior. There's a lot of threats. It's fearful. And so the things that were positive about school, uh, Sometimes they're not there. Now, look and see, how are they experiencing school? Are they engaged with, do they have close friends? Do Are we engaging our kids with their peers or friends, friendships, even outside of school? We've got to help our kids begin to normalize uh, the developmental stages. We're going to see, you know, two years of keeping your, your face covered up from your teacher, uh, it does affect Um, It does affect our development. It does affect uh, how a kid feels about themselves. So um, we've got to stay in relationship with our kids. And I really believe the parent is the best gauge of how their child is doing. Empower them. They need a good word spoken over them. They need to know how much we believe in them. They also need to know some of this that they're experiencing is temporary. Okay. Well, yeah, that gets us to parents' mental health. I mean, come on. This has been so hard. I worked from home. Um, I'm, back, I'm back at work now, but for about a month over yes. Christmas. And um, it was better than I thought. It was definitely better than the first time I did it, which was for about a year. But it's this feeling of, okay, um, I'm in jail. If my kids see me too much, they'll interrupt me too much. Here, I actually did a podcast with my son in the room, and before every, I, I muted it, and then I unmuted myself when I had to ask the questions because I could not get him out of the room that I was in, no matter what I did. <laughs> and I had I had a, a professional there to help me, like my nanny couldn't yes, even do yes. it. It's so. I mean, that was so nerve wracking for me. Like I, I had to pay attention to this guest. I had to mute my mic. I was shushing him away, yet trying to sort of entertain him so he wouldn't make too much noise. I, it was nuts. Every parent has stories of how they've had to keep their jobs, <laughs> keep their kids okay, and just juggle everyone else's problems, including their own, for, what, two and a half years now? 
Yes, and we do need to understand this is beyond taxing to the parent um, because we're very distracted. Um, a lot of kids even look like they have attention deficit disorder, but they're just distracted hmm. because there's been so many distractions. There's a point of emotional saturation that uh, tips uh, both an adult <laughs> as well as a kid over. You reach a point of being overwhelmed and that anxiety that we're carrying, it affects uh, our ability to make decisions. That prefrontal cortex that we put your on your forehead there where you're supposed to make good decisions, you'll notice that anxiety Anxiety levels impair us from even making a decision. We feel a lot of indecision. So we began to look at this. Uh, we've got to take care of ourselves. The parents are self-care. How? Uh, it's so important. <laughs> How? How do and, we take, you know, what, what does it mean? Here, like, I'm not going to go you, get a massage. Making, I feel too guilty. <laughs> uh, all right, well, are you, uh, you know. When we get anxiety, we stop doing all the good things. We stop drinking our water. We need to drink the water. Um, we tend to undereat or overeat. And we tend to have a temptation to do escapism behaviors like um, alcohol or uh, getting lost in social media. We want to, maybe it's food. But so look for escapism behaviors. How well am I caring for myself? Uh, our sleep. Now, we've got a sleep epidemic right now. Uh, sleep disorders, again, are at an all-time high. Uh, people are waking up in the middle of their night, their heart's racing, they're having a panic attack in their sleep. So we've got to get our sleep back as well. You're telling me that America is not healthy and COVID might not be the biggest reason why. Well, I would agree. Um, we're not healthy and we are uh, the mental health issues that we are seeing now. And, you know, we're really at the tip of the iceberg about what's going on in the mental health. The part of my concern is uh, people are looking for help and the resources are not there at the level we need. Uh, so many counselors and we work, you know, we work with uh, folks from around the country. We're, we help them plug back into a counselor back at home and counselors are full uh, and our our counselors are, are weary as well. I'm making some general statements, but the help and resources are getting limited. Can I ask you about that? Is it because um, there's just more demand and there's just not enough specialists and counselors to go around? Or is it because, you know, people don't want to do a Zoom call? They, they want to actually go in and see a person and get treated that way. Yeah, it's both. Um, there are limited resources uh, available. We don't have enough in the mental health uh, area. And the kind of help that people need uh, is, is limited. We uh, are seeing people seek help for uh, anxiety disorder. And so often, you know, we just go, okay, just give me that pill. I'll be fine. Give me the pill. Well, uh, you need to do something more than just the pill. And that's what people are finding out. Uh, I need help. I need tools. I need to know how to cope with this. Um, how do I keep my family healthy? So the resources uh, right now um, are limited. And uh, by the way, um, I don't have any problem with virtual. I just don't want to stay that way. Uh, I think uh, in-person help is is always the best. Uh, during this uh, pandemic, we uh, at our facility, A Place of Hope, we stayed open the whole time in person. Uh, we took all the precautions and uh, we never deviated from in-person care. We believe it's superior. Yeah. Yeah. And but but you also made the point that something is better than nothing. So if you can do that's a Zoom right. call that's to, right. and, and you need help, that that's what you uh, what you need to do. Wow. Um, is, is, can we say anything positive? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, no, here's the thing. There is hope. Um, we've got to, if we're a parent, uh, we've got to look at ourselves. There may be some adjustments we need to make. Um, stay in relationship with your kids. And I get it. Sometimes a teenager can be really challenging. And right now you feel weary. Um, but uh, keep the relationship. One of the things that we get right now is there's a lot of judgment out there. People are hypersensitive. We have mask police out there. Uh, people are not friendly towards one another. We don't know. Do I shake your hand? I certainly don't <laughs> hug you. All the rules are different. Okay. We need to remember we need each other and we need to be working together. I like that. And I have one mom confession that I would love you to weigh in on. So it was on Sunday. Okay. It was on Sunday and I'm, I'm watching Yellowstone. I'm addicted. And um, yes. it was about maybe three o'clock. I took a load of laundry up, my husband and my, my three kids all home doing nothing. And I went to my bedroom and I was hoping nobody followed me. And I just sat in my bed and I watched an episode and I'm folding clothes and the kids are coming in one after the other. And I said, mommy just needs a break. Give me just one episode. I'll be downstairs when I'm done. They did not understand and they would not let me watch my, I didn't want them to watch it with me. It's not appropriate <laughs> for them. They wouldn't leave me alone. And then I almost yeah. felt guilty, but I was like, well, I can't get a break, a one hour break, if even. Yeah. Okay. So we <laughs> all need, uh, we all need a little, what I call margin time um, or my time. Uh, we do need that. All of us do. And so that needs to be a part of our self-care plan. Uh, our self-care plan always needs to include time that is renewing. It, don't engage in self-destructive behaviors. The person that uh, says, I need my time, and they uh, are just sitting there drinking alcohol the whole time, that's not my time. That's escapism. <laughs> okay, so watch what you're doing, but it is important to have that time. Yeah, well, my kids didn't seem to think so. They were very upset with me. <laughs> no, well, they don't have a framework to understand that yet. And remember, one of the big factors right now is kids need attachment, healthy attachments. Masks are a way to prevent healthy attachments. So kids, they need attachment, what we call secure attachments. So some of the places where they got healthy attachments, school, that's really diminished on healthy attachments. And so we've got to be given that to them, that Builds healthy, strong self-esteem. Dr. Gregory Jans, thank you for the time. We do appreciate it. Good to be with you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.